It wasn't uncommon for record labels to take some time experimenting with their talent, trying to figure out what genre works best with their new investments. For his first two albums with ABC Paramount, Johnny Nash recorded a crooner album and a collection of gospel songs. So what genre should he dabble in for his second record of 1959? Would it be punk rock? Would it be horrorcore hip-hop? Maybe even polka? Well, if you guessed Gershwin, then you win the prize. Because as the title suggests, Nash's third album, I Got Rhythm, is a collection of show tunes. From the catchy Gershwin number, It's Wonderful, to the Tin Pan Alley hit, I'm Forever Blowing Bubbles. And that makes sense, given the involvement of legendary producer John Costa, who was at the height of his powers as an arranger and an A&R man at ABC. Costa would have very successful relationships with Paul Anka and Frank Sinatra, and so you get the sense that he's trying to mold Nash in that same fashion. As we know, Nash will soon find his voice in the reggae soul genre, leaving behind the show tunes after a couple of records. But is that a missed opportunity? Are we truly in the darkest timeline where we missed out on Johnny Nash performing in Vegas next to his fellow legends Tony Bennett and Wayne Newton? Blake and I will answer that question in this episode of So Gross, Such Point, Much Blank. So gross, such point, much blank, a little concern about the film Gross Point Blank. I'm Joe George, and with me is Blake Collier. This episode, we are talking about Johnny Nash's third album, uh, I Got Rhythm. Uh, Blake, I was excited when this one first popped on because, as you might recall from the first two Nash albums that we looked at, I was pretty annoyed with how dull and syrupy they are this one starts out with action right away at least a little <laughs> yeah. bit of, a little bit of pep um was were you just as excited as i was and was that enough to carry you through this album and make it one that you like so so i'm i'm very much a visual guy so the first thing i notice about a about an album is the cover and as you know with with most of the covers in the 50s and, and early 60s it's pretty much a, a picture of the person uh yeah maybe with a microphone in their hand or or you know it's colorized or you know whatever yeah. it may be and so um none of them really get me excited uh to listen yeah. and the simple fact that i am not a fan of this like crooning style of of music i've never been a sinatra fan i've never been yep. like perry como yeah most yep. of those guys i I can I can handle it if if my grandmothers <laughs> were listening to it, but yeah, it's not it's not my thing. And so, yeah, uh, I didn't go into this expecting a whole lot, but okay, like you, uh, from the first song, I was like, okay, there's a little bit more <laughs> going on here, and and so I didn't I didn't realize that that there was so much Gershwin on here. Uh, I'm not yeah. a show tunes guy, and so my my knowledge of of Gershwin and and show tunes are are pretty 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 weak 
So, but there's songs that I, I recognized. Uh, yep. Now the arrangements sometimes threw me off. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would it'd be a lyric that would catch me, and I'd be like, "I've heard this before. Yeah, I've never heard yep. it like this." <laughs> and so, <Yep. laughs> um, yeah, there's 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 some good stuff on here. I I, I actually yeah. found myself enjoying this one quite a bit. Um, yeah, it's not something I would listen to a whole lot, but but yeah, I compared to his first album, um, and and kind of I was really positive on his gospel album. Um, yeah, so. This I would probably put this in the same category as his gospel album. It's something I don't mind listening to, uh, and I would yeah. put on occasionally, but it's not gonna be one I I return to a whole lot. So I, I would put it right under the gospel album, um, as far as because that's one I, I will come back to and and have actually. Um, sure. This one is I didn't dislike it. It, it was I, I just kind of wrote down pleasant diversion mm-hmm. is how I describe yeah. it. Like if this was playing on the soundtrack of a romantic comedy or playing in the background mm-hmm. of a nice dinner party that I'm feeling uncomfortable with, it would, it would be fine. I don't know that I'm ever going to like put my headphones on and mm-hmm. listen to this album. Like I did with, for this time around. Yeah. So I didn't hate it, but yeah. um, you know, that was a thing. Now I do my, my, my older daughter is a huge Broadway person. Okay. So I've got a little bit more um, familiarity with some of these songs uh, yeah. just through her. But outside of that, I think the one that I, knew the best was jeepers creepers yeah. because my mom used to sing that all the time really did it not quite in this arrangement that's terrifying because <laughs> i always find that I song terrifying. <laughs> and she's shocked that i've grown up to love horror, horror movies <laughs> well and i've never understood that song like i, I don't <laughs> i don't get it like what it's, it's about eyes well yeah but but why <laughs> why are they why are you commenting on how small they are how, how weird they are like how creepy they are no you don't don't judge somebody else's thing if you're into small eyes you be into small eyes <laughs> look i don't know what's wrong with a song that inspired a horror trilogy directed by a pedophile oh man uh, i was about to say be... <laughs> yeah. that's the first time i heard that song was was on the what? first film <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm pleased to say I have still never seen those because it was a song my mom used to sing. And so oh, man. I associated that. Also, I saw Powder and was like, that was enough. So. That's hilarious. I'm not sure I ever saw Powder, but that's beside You're the doing point. okay? <laughs> Keep living your life that way? You're doing all right? Uh, let's let's continue to not support pedophiles. And it was and, a terrible movie. And I've never and, done Powder either. So. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I want to tell you that was the most terrifying and that I've ever heard. I'm like, oh man, he is going to yes and me in a really weird way now. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm like I, uh, hovering over the edit button. <laughs> unfortunately, I've uh, so so I saw the first two Jeepers Creepers uh, before I knew that he was a pedophile, and yeah. his when the third one came out, I was like, nope, nope, not going to go see it. <laughs> I didn't even like the first two that much. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that was well. I know, we're we're turning this into a Victor Salva podcast, which <laughs> does not need to exist. So, oh yeah, no, no, but but we'll keep this in <laughs> <laughs> because people Very need good. to know. <laughs> people need to know. Don't support this man. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. So, so back to uh, back to the album. Uh, so what what worked for you on this album? What's do you, do you have any standout songs? Yeah. So standout songs for me, I I think it's it's a. Uh, it's all right. It's all right with me. Was probably mm-hmm. one of my favorites, and that's largely because I only know that song because my wife continues to sing it randomly. 
Really? Um, and I never knew where it came from or, or what it was. I, I like at that point when he was singing, I was like, "Wait a second. <laughs> and so Just call her into the room. Yeah. Like, well, I haven't actually, I actually haven't played it for her yet. Uh, she's oh. been, she's been pretty busy, but I'll, I'll probably play it for her and be like, does this sound familiar to you? <laughs> uh, but you've never heard it like this. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. I, uh, that's that that's got a that's got a sentimental edge to it but sure. um yep. you know really really i got rhythm uh is is just a nice opener it's it's yep. really good um yep you know for the slower stuff uh i actually kind of liked uh, and the angels sing um there's just there's some good moments here uh yeah. as far as the mixture of the album like how how they kind of brought you in with a fast-paced couple of tunes and then they kind of slowed it down a little bit it was a good balance uh and yeah. back and forth mm-hmm. and so um you n- i never got bored um yep. even though it's not my kind of music uh but i found myself kind of just digging it and just being like while i wasn't necessarily paying attention to every single note or every single word um yep. at no point was i like <sighs> yeah <laughs> you know, just yep. sighing um yep. Uh, yeah, we'll we'll get to those uh, eventually, but <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, I really, really, there's not a, a quote unquote standout. If they stand out, then they're ones I've heard already, and yeah. really, the the arrangements are what kind of star here. Like, I I think yeah, I think for me that why this album works is because there's enough difference in how the uh, the arrangements are done that it threw me off uh and that's hard to do i'm i'm pretty pretty good at recognizing music and whenever uh they can throw me throw me off the trail of a, of a song i already know that's impressive and his voice is just great like yep if there's one thing that carries me through even the worst of his albums it's mm. his voice um yeah and it's it's he's just got a stellar smooth silky voice and yep he can do a lot with it he's got a lot of range um unfortunately until later we don't get as like we don't get to see that kind of range yeah it's it's there's there's an there's enough show tune uh element here but there's a little bit of soul and jazz composition yep. and and i enjoy that uh, that element of it what what were some of your high points um you know i, I i'm kind of in the same boat where you know i liked uh I like Baby, Won't You Please Come Home. I liked I'm Getting to See the Light. You're Driving Me Crazy. Yeah. Basically, the, 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 the sort of swingier songs yeah. with nice, punchy brass, mm-hmm. those are my favorite. In part because there was that, that, that when that brass kicks in, you know, yeah. those horns, it just wakes you right up and demands attention. Mm-hmm. And like you said, those arrangements where it, there's the nice uh, <laughs> uh, proto pixies sort of quiet, yeah. loud, quiet, where it's yep. just. It's just it's it's nice and calm for a second, and then the brass kicks in, and you wake up. And I totally agree. It's his voice throughout all of this. You know, that's yeah. that you can see why the A and R people were like, "Well, what's this guy's thing?" Because he can kind of do all of it. You know, where they're mm-hmm. I, I I wonder if it was less. Um, and I haven't found anything to back this up, so this is pure conjecture. But I wonder if it was less what's this guy's thing in the sense of we don't know what to do with him, nothing's quite working, as much as, oh, he can do this? Well, let's see if we can do this too. Yeah. You know, you, you got a sense that maybe uh, the NR guys were, uh, can, can we sell him to the gospel market? Okay, yes. Can we sell him to easy listening crooning market? Yes. Can we sell him to show tunes? Yes. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And it, and it, 
he's he's got control over all of them. And that's that's really interesting. For for me, the the least favorite uh, track here, far and away, was "Looking for a Girl," which sounded like a '60s sitcom, you know, sort of thing. Like I I, I expected squares dressed like hippies to be walking mm-hmm. in. Now I admit, like with that song, like I I agree, it's it's one of my least favorites. But he does something in that song that I've always kind of liked, and it's Ooh. with any song, it's that whole. Um, a guy looking for a girl going into a girl looking for a guy like that kind of uh, palindrome element of, of a chorus. Yeah. I like that, but I don't like yeah. it, how it's done in the song. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, I've always enjoyed that, that, that kind of wordplay, but yeah, it's, it's not a, it's not a great song. <laughs> how do you feel about flute? Do you enjoy flute? There's some um, flute on that track. I appreciate flute in theory. Okay. Uh, in practice, I generally speaking, don't like it. <laughs> Oh, okay. <laughs> so you'll own Jethro Tull records, but you won't listen to them? Is it that sort of thing? Well, so, so... Uh-oh. <laughs> Jethro you Tull story. is is weird. Uh, I, I, I true, statement. <laughs> true statement. I I will listen to that, that Aqualung uh, album, but that's mm-hmm. about it. Like, And it's yeah. mainly because the, the couple of songs are really well known off of it, and I grew up with it. Um, oh, okay. But do I like the flute? Not really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a flute for whatever reason is a big like outside of a classical setting, which I, I'm not trying to put on airs because I don't listen to I listen to film scores, if anything, but not much classical, uh, proper classical outside of that setting. I just I do not. There's something so corny about the flute. I always as soon as I hear it, I think of uh you know, Ron Burgundy uh, yeah. doing his little number <laughs> yeah. in uh, Anchorman. Anchorman. And it's just, it's an inherently corny uh, instrument to me. So, yeah, yeah that just, I, that, that sunk that record for me, or I'm, that song for me. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you on that. I, uh, I've i heard maybe a couple instances where flute was used well, but on the whole, it's, it's like you said, it's cheesy. Um, yeah. And it's yeah. usually used poorly anyways. Yeah. Um, it's, I think, the probably the best best way i've heard it was as a kind of metaphor for a bird and peter and the wolf oh yeah uh, uh-huh. like that's that makes sense like that's yeah it it it, it evokes that 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 kind of sound and that and that flightiness and and whatnot yeah but really like on the whole most people don't use it well <laughs> so yeah. well now that we've alienated the flautist <laughs> base there here come Actually, I'm just excited if we have any listeners uh, yeah, at that no point. Doubt, so, no <laughs> so we're sorry. We like your instrument. Please continue in, listening to us. We like your instrument in theory. In theory. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to get them back. Let me play the crowd. Always tell the truth, Joe. Always tell the truth. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Okay, well, fine. Here's the truth. And the angels sing that Mambo and that song sucks. It's yeah, a, it's it's a cheesy. It, does. it sounds like somebody busted out their Casio and pressed a button on the it background. Sounds, it sounds like white people uh, made that mambo, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. Yes. How many uh, how many white people do you think were involved in the making of this record? <laughs> well, how many people do you think were involved in making the record, and then subtract that number by one, exactly. and then we have the answer. <laughs> Because at this point, you know, as, the more that we listen to these, the more I'm like, I get now why he left for Jamaica. Yeah. Like we speculated at first. And yeah. Like, yeah, no, he it's... got tired of all of us pasties going. Yeah. Here's what you're going to do, Johnny. And, <laughs> and 
I mean, and not to be not to give too much away, but his first reggae soul album is, oh, you can feel him opening up yeah, on that one. No doubt. And no doubt. Man is element at that point. So yes, very much so. Yeah. So, yeah, I. Uh, part of me wonders, like, what it is about the 50s and early 60s that this was the kind of music that was so popular. Now, I get it. Like, this was the period of, like, all the great musicals. Um and so people wanted to hear those tunes. And yeah. and I don't know enough about the history of studios uh, to know what they could and couldn't do at that point as far as production, as far as um, experimentation, things yeah. like that. And so part of me just wonders, like, what is the, what is the era of music in which this is the music that is popular? Um, yeah. Because you like it doesn't matter who it is at that time period during the 50s you're singing this kind of music yep like on some level yeah you may get a little bit different compositions like on this record um you might get you know um the chance to write an original song occasionally but usually they're not going to be the singles um and so part of me just wonders like what was it about american history that speaks to the fact that crooning easy listening maybe a little bit of a teen pop uh was mm-hmm. was so prevalent at this time period and why everything had to fit into that mold so well if i can if i can uh pull in <laughs> my knowledge of the 50s from literature uh Sweet. instead of uh, there post world war 2 there are there's a d- deep desire for safety coming off of uh of uh Kind of a radical period um, in the 1920s, uh, followed by the Depression and then World War II. Um, that generation, the the parents of the boomers, were deeply concerned about safety and security. Um, at the same time, the government, uh, Eisenhower, Truman, you know, he he joins uh, Stalin and, and Churchill and, and all of them to fight off the Nazis, and then he comes back to America and says, "I've seen the next threat." And it is it is communism. And so starts integrating a number of policies and social social movements to emphasize the American identity. And so we see both on a personal social level, on a political level, and this plays out on an artistic level when we think about what's actually getting published. I mean, this isn't all the art that's happening at this time, but this is what's getting the attention. That an emphasis on safety and conformity and kind of a single American identity. Which doesn't mean that there's not counter movements, of course. Oh, of the beats yeah. come out of that and mm-hmm. and and, and uh, you know, all sorts of early civil rights music and, and art and all that. Mm-hmm. But um uh, I think when we're looking at mainstream art here, that's the impulse is safety and conformity. And so uh, we don't – there's a faux individuality um, when we think about – this is the emphasis on the nuclear family and your own home ownership. Um, but it's individuality. You have the right to be yourself as long as yourself matches this model. And I think we see that in this type of music where you, you can do your own take on this Gershwin tune, but you better be singing Gershwin tunes, yeah. right? You, you, this is the thing that people want to hear and we're only going to do what think people want to hear, you know? Yeah. So that's a good take. And I hadn't really thought about that is that because of the, 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 insanity of of world war ii and depression all that that yeah. that's that's why conformity is so key is is that yep. s- sense of safety and i would probably add in there some form of nostalgia 
every generation has is this like sure. there's there's a time in the past a vague yes. time in the past that that was better and so let's 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 harken back to that time uh, when things were safe and secure and even though it's never been the case so yeah like, <laughs> we, i don't know that that image, would be so um quite so much in the in the the 50s because you know they would be then have nostalgia for the depression world yeah. war one you or, know there's a yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's there's about a 50 year period until the united states hits its sort of ascendancy between yeah. well more than that between from civil war reconstruction mm-hmm. uh immigration boom you got that sliver of the 20s there but yeah. then yeah, that, that, that that 70 year period there is is a lot of unrest yeah, um yeah. and and no sense of an american identity really up until up until then, so yeah, I, mean, I, I pushed down that a little bit. Yeah, good. Man. I'm glad you did, because <laughs> <laughs> even I wasn't sure about that. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I was like, I was thinking, I was like, yeah, I'm not entirely sure as I was saying that. Is that really true? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a that, that's the mind of a historian. Every time you say oh. something <laughs> historical, you're like, meh. Is it? Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> I know it. I know it. I've, I've, I'm still in academia, mm-hmm. but you know, you figure out that we are digressing all over the place. Yeah. But you figure out that uh, you either um, double check yourself, or you do the opposite, which is say it louder and more. And as a straight white man, I say things louder, <laughs> even if I don't know them. <laughs> Such is my birthright. I'm not gonna lie. There for a second, I thought you were gonna say you either check yourself. <laughs> Or you wreck yourself. <laughs> yeah, I've never said those words, <laughs> but I want you to drop that in now. Yeah. Okay, we'll do. We'll, we'll be going. Do. Yeah. So we're all over the place no, with this episode. That's, that's good. Um, that's good. I, I which is kind of appropriate for this album. Yeah. 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 This is. I mean, this is a pleasant conversation, and we could have some pleasant show tunes playing in the background. Exactly. And and we would enjoy. I don't know. I don't drink, so I don't know what alcoholic beverage one would enjoy with this i'd enjoy nice um, water probably vodka and cranberry okay okay well you enjoy your vodka and cranberry <laughs> or martini, How about water? martini. <laughs> okay sure sure you can have that <laughs> i don't like and either we... one of those but <laughs> well we don't really like the music that yeah, much either, exactly so. that's right and that's i don't right. like dinner parties so we're all uncomfortable here <laughs> yeah exactly so so, so what um, would you uh what would you say is like if if you were going to listen to this album, what's your grand takeaway from it, as far as within his career slash just music in general? Like, what is your grand takeaway? Oh boy! So my grand takeaway is simply pleasant diversion uh, within his career. Still trying things out. He's still great. I'm glad he didn't stay here. I mean, he stays here for a couple albums, but yeah. I'm glad he doesn't stay here overall. Yeah. What do you? I w- I would say that that there's just there's enough. Um, compositional interesting or compositional elements going on here that that it's it's a nice diversion like you said uh it's one that i if someone put it on i wouldn't be uh, i wouldn't be sad um mm-hmm. i'm not gonna pick it up out of his out of his roster and play it automatically um but it's one that i'm i'm glad exists and i'm glad that uh that there's elements of his um <clears throat> uh, of his catalog that allows for these kind of songs to exist even sure. though they don't get much play in the mainstream culture because i think some of these songs are some of the better versions of these gershwin tunes Interesting. um really yeah but that's because it's coming from there there's definitely a jazz influence going on here and and i i tend towards jazz soul kind of stuff and so um the typical musical tune or musical 
uh, compositions tend to be a little too uh, perky for me. Yeah, they um, are perky. And so uh, something a little bit more laid back. There's a little bit more uh, interesting rhythms, things like that going on here. It adds a, a new life to them. And, and I think uh, people are missing out by not finding these deep cuts uh, okay. of these songs. So, yeah, I would say on the whole, it's it, it's a it's a definitely a, a solid album. Um, You're definitely more up on it than I yeah, am, though. Yeah, I, I think so. Uh, yeah, yeah, I would say, but but in in the scope of his whole catalog, I would say it's it's still on the back end. <laughs> so yeah. So that's all for this episode of So Gross, Such Point, Much Blank. Be sure to check in with us next time as we continue our deep dissection of Gross Point Blank, including the next step in Johnny Nash's musical oeuvre, and you'll see where we fall on that. We'll talk to you next time, and remember, this podcast is us breathing. Thank you for listening to So Gross, Such Point, Much Blank on the Film Inquiry Network. If you like what you've heard, head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review and maybe a five-star rating. The more feedback we receive, the more that we can expand our audience. If you don't like what you've heard, well, we don't like you listening to us, so what do you think of that, tough guy? Our podcast theme music comes from Jans. You can find more of his work over at Jans Official. The intro music for this episode is Everyday Routine by Dan Yan Key. Our podcast outro music comes from Jeff Hansen, and our podcast artwork comes from Jeff Wyrick. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at So Gross Pod, and that's gross with me. You can follow Blake on Twitter at Lost in Osmosis, and you can follow Joe on Twitter at JAGeorgeII. Thanks again for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Hey, 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 bing, 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 bang, popcorn. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs>